0: Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 7 now. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 since I've eaten up all of our time. And then we're going to go into a time of worship and just praying for one another. But we're in Romans and we're starting chapter 7. It helps to arrive at your destination if you have some idea where you're going. Let me show you where we're going in chapter 7. If you have your Bible open, skip down to verses 18 through 24. Let me just read them to you. I think they're up on the screen as well. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me I find then a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin which is in my members O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death obviously we're gonna comment on these verses in a future study For now, we need to decide what Paul was describing. And more to the point, we need to uh, decide when Paul was describing. What time in his life was he referring to? Because this could be his current and ongoing experience, or it could be referring back to his experience before he was saved. And quite honestly, Bible commentators are split on that. In other words, is this a struggle I will have as a Christian? Or was this a struggle I had before I was a Christian? And as I said, some look at this struggle with sin and believe that it must have been before Paul was born again. Others believe he was a Christian involved in the ongoing struggle against the flesh. Interesting, sometimes this doesn't always work, uh, but sometimes when commentators can't really figure one way or the other and they're kind of split, uh, if you back up a little bit from it, you realize that uh, it, it can be both. Uh, it doesn't work for every situation, but I think it's both. This is the struggle of anyone who tries to obey God in their own strength by keeping a set of rules. And this is something that a Christian may do. A Christian can certainly fall into this kind of a pattern where they're trying hard to keep a certain set of rules and regulations and they're failing to do it. Uh, it's certainly something that a non-Christian can do as well. Griffith Thomas, uh, he's a Bible commentator, and he said this. He said, the one point of the passage is that it describes a man who is trying to be good and holy by his own efforts, but is beaten back every time by the power of indwelling sin. It thus refers to anyone, regenerate or unregenerate. Uh, And so uh, we're going to look at this chapter as if it replies to us as Christians in our walk with the Lord uh, and the struggle that we still have against the flesh. Uh, The point of the passage and of our chapter, we'll see, is that we should not seek to live by keeping the law of Moses or any other law or rules or regulations or rites or rituals, but by yielding to the indwelling power of God the Holy Spirit. Any law emphasizes my human effort to be holy. No amount of my human effort can sustain a victorious, fruitful Christian life, whether uh, certainly not before I'm saved but not afterwards either. Too many Christians put themselves under some law, under some rules, and then they struggle unsuccessfully to grow when God wants us to abide in a personal relationship with Him that will bear fruit. Or they think that they're actually growing when in fact it's uh, all an outward show. I can illustrate this by pointing to the Pharisees. They approach life by trying to keep the law of God. They were considered the super-spiritual elite among the Jews. Now, we, looking back on the Pharisees, because we have the advantage of Jesus Christ commenting about them, we see them as dopes, you know, guys that were, you know, just hypocrites and trying to do something. We we call people Pharisees, and, and it's, a, it's a derogatory thing, but to be called a Pharisee in the first century was a tremendous compliment. Jesus at one point said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, recognizing that they had a pretty high standard of righteousness. I mean, these guys tithe of their mint and cumin. They, cumin is really small. I was looking at some cumin the other day, and it's tiny. I don't know how you tithe of that. Maybe you get a gram scale or something like that, but it's crazy. And so these guys were considered super spiritual. Jesus, however, had issues with them. He pointed out repeatedly that their keeping of the law was all outward. It was all external. It had no real effect on the heart. As such, they were, he said, like a freshly painted tomb. They look great, but inside they were rotting away. Uh, You know, you can go to the graveyard and it, it can be well manicured and mowed properly and everything edged just right and there's flowers or flags or whatever people put out but you you have a suspicion that the bodies that are in those graves are not as well preserved as you know they should be uh they're decaying and they're decrepit, and it's you know you've seen all those c s i shows where they exhume bodies they love to exhume bodies, and then there's some corpse in there like that. <laughs> I thought I paid for embalming, yeah, and so it's crazy, and so jesus said hey that's that's what it's like to keep a law, the law of God or any other law that's what that's what it reduces to and so At first you think you're struggling and you're beating yourself over the head and you think, oh, I'm falling short. And then at some point you think, no, I finally found some things that I think I can do. I'm tithing of cumin. Pastor Gene said it was impossible, but I can do it. And so, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm tithing my my spice rack. Probably on Sunday I'll find a whole bag full of spices now. I better not. We have hidden cameras you don't know about. But anyway... I'll set Kenny loose on you. That's what I'll do. So, but uh, uh, you know, and and then you pass over into yeah. I found it. I'm doing it. I'm the guy. And then you start you know dropping remarks about how spiritual you are and how often you pray and how many meetings you went to and you know all these other things. Uh, and it's all external. Even though Jesus was clear that keeping the law was not the way to walk with Him, in the Book of Acts you see that many of the Jews still tried to put the saved Gentiles under the law. Demanding that they be circumcised and keep the Sabbath and in other ways conform to the rules of Judaism. So you'd think after Jesus' uh, analysis of the law and what it was doing, and then he rose from the dead, uh, you would think the Jews would, would have a different feeling. But no, they thought, no, here's what we'll do we'll merge Christianity, or what we believe to be Christian principles, with certain laws. And so you can be a Christian when you're also a Jew and keeping the Sabbath and being circumcised and all that. And we've pointed out many times over the years, there are Christian groups that do this as well. They pick one or two things that they say, this is it. You've got to be saved by grace through faith and you do this. And then you're a real Christian. No one is to try to live the Christian life by keeping the law, not Jews, certainly not Gentiles. Paul was willing to have Jews do certain Jewish things from a cultural point of view. And he, and he even gets criticized by commentators because he uh, entered into a vow in Jerusalem with some, uh, some brothers and went into the temple, and they say, oh yeah, Paul was blowing it. I don't want to be those guys. I want to watch when Paul meets those guys, those commentators who are in print saying what a jerk he was. He's going to have words with those guys. I think he's going to flog them. But no, anyway... Um, So, you know, Paul could be a Jew among the Jews because it didn't mean anything. But when you wanted a Gentile to do something Jewish, he he would fight you over that tooth and nail. He says, no, there's no way we're going to put Gentiles under any of these laws. Now, that being the case, all that being true, it's natural to ask, especially if you're a Jew, but for anybody, it's natural to ask, what is our relationship to the law, to the law of God? How do we relate to it now? Paul's going to tell us that we are dead with regard to it. It's pretty powerful. Verse 1. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Now, I'm told that in the Greek texts, the word the is not there in front of law. And so Paul is not necessarily referring just to the law of Moses or the law of God, but he's broadening the concept to include all laws, any law, as a way of approaching my daily walk. Any rules, rights, regulations that I put on myself and say this is what will really make me spiritual. That's important for us because, as I said, a lot of Christian groups come along and pick out certain parts of the law as still binding. And if you're not careful, you can be persuaded by them to adopt a certain outward lifestyle and begin thinking you're on the spiritual track when in fact you might just be painting the exterior of your life while inwardly you're rotting away. Nothing will, will make you rot more than finding some rule to keep because you can judge yourself and say, well, I'm doing this or I'm not doing that, and so you let your heart slide because no one can see your heart and you think you're doing okay outwardly and, and Jesus has to remind us, no, it's inwardly that I'm interested because, and then when the inward is right, as I've said many times, the outward follows. Uh, and so we want to be careful about this. Now, it's a given. Laws are only binding upon you while you are alive. This is not a very deep concept. Once you've died, the law can't demand anything of you. Paul is going to argue that you are dead with regard to the law and all such laws. And he does it by giving you a specific illustration of a situation where under normal law a person dies and it sets another person free. And so verse 2, A woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. If the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Now this is not marriage advice. This is not a teaching on marriage. This is just, he, he picks something out uh, uh, from everyday life uh, and he uses marriage, we'll see, in a very unique way to make his point. But, so we're not doing a marriage study. We're just saying that if, if you're under law, California law, federal law, Jewish law, then uh, certain things uh, uh, are applicable until there's a death. And so Paul says as long as a woman is married, under their legal system, she was bound to her husband and, uh, and, and, uh, unless he died. Verse 3, so then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So then she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Now, among the Jews, a husband could divorce his wife, but a wife could never divorce her husband. A woman who divorced her husband to marry another man was considered to be committing adultery. And so that was just uh, basic stuff for the Jews Paul wasn't teaching them anything. He was just appealing to their legal system and things that they knew to be true. If you were married, you were subject to the prevailing laws. In the case of wives, if their husband died, they were free from the law that would make them an adulteress if they entered a new relationship. That's basic, right? Makes sense? Okay. Therefore, my brethren, verse 4, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Just as death breaks the marriage relationship, so your death with Jesus Christ breaks your relationship to the law of Moses and law in general as a way of life. Now the argument that always gets raised is that if you are free from keeping the law and all law, then you will be lawless. That is, you will be free to commit all kinds of sin. And on, on the surface, if a person says, you're under no law, you're dead to the law, then I think I'm going to finally buy a Corvette and go 200 miles an hour because there's no law. You know, So that's where my mind kind of takes me. And, and so it's natural to think, okay, if I'm free from the law, then I'm going to be a lawbreaker. I'm going to live... Lawlessly. That argument always gets raised. But think of this illustration of marriage that Paul is using. The wife set free by the death of her husband. Is she now free to become promiscuous or a prostitute? Well, no. She's free to marry another. And in this case, Paul's going to say, "And the other person you marry is Jesus Christ. And so you're set free from the law not to live lawlessly, not to be promiscuous, not to be a prostitute. You're free to be married to another and to enter into a personal relationship that is much more powerful than a legal relationship. One marriage was broken by death, the death of Jesus on the cross and where we died with Him, and a new marriage is entered into. The Christian is now married to another, we would say, We are engaged because that's the uh, situation that we find ourselves in. But under the Jewish situation, if you were engaged, you were considered married. You just hadn't consummated it. So we're the engaged, betrothed bride of Christ. It's this new, living, vibrant, dynamic, personal relationship to Jesus Christ. It's in that that we derive power to live and to grow and to have victory over sin. We are not dead to law so that we can live as we please. No right-thinking person really comes to that conclusion. If somebody comes and tells me their husband dies, and hey, my husband is dead, I don't say, great, you're free to be a prostitute now. Go out and live a promiscuous lifestyle. No, I say, well, praise the Lord. You're free to remarry in the Lord. And find joy. In all. And so Paul's saying, yeah, hey, you're dead to the law. You want to know what your relationship to the law is? You're dead to it. And now you have a much better husband. Now you have a relationship not to law, but to the Lord. And, and that is what motivates you. I think you're getting it. I, it takes me a long time to figure this stuff out. Now, applying this, John Corson wrote, there is no reason to be preoccupied with your failings, your lack of prayer, your lack of love, your lack of anything. There's no reason to try to live up to rules, regulations, and expectations you've put upon yourself. When you realize that you died with Christ on Calvary, you're free from the demands of the law and free instead to just love the Lord. Francis Chan, in his book, Crazy Love, wrote this. I think I already quoted this on a Sunday morning, but it's, it's very interesting. He says, Most Christians have been taught to set aside a daily time for prayer and Bible reading. It's what we're supposed to do, and so for a long time, it's what I valiantly attempted. When I didn't do it, I felt guilty. Over time, I realized that when we love God, we naturally run to Him, frequently and jealously. Jesus didn't command that we have a regular time with Him each day. Rather, He tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He called this the first and greatest commandment. The results are intimate prayer and study of His Word, our motivation changes from guilt to love. Now, I have to tell you, while I agree with Francis Chan, it's really hard to say what he said. It was hard for him to write that and it's hard for me to say that because it is Christian bedrock. It is the absolute foundation to encourage people to have daily devotions. Anything that sounds remotely negative with regards to your daily devotions can get you killed in the parking lot after church or at least totally misunderstood but you know what Uh, maybe I better quote somebody else who is a completely trustworthy source and that would be Pastor Chuck he's been saying stuff like this for his entire ministry in Why Grace Changes Everything he wrote this how beautiful it is to experience the freedom and joy of a love relationship with God how sad it is there are so many who insist on relating to God in a legalistic way. Their righteousness is based on what they can do for the Lord instead of on what He has already done for them. They carry around a huge list of do's and don'ts to keep them bound to God. The Bible tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. In fact, when asked which was the greatest commandment, Jesus replied that it was to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love, not the law, is the key to our relationship with God and with one another. God wants us to experience the beauty of being drawn to Him by a cord far stronger than the obligation and guilt of the law. And then later in that passage, Pastor Chuck mentions devotions along with other things that can become law-oriented rather than love-led. He says, We must stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ has made us free. We must not allow condemning rules to come in and dominate our lives until we feel that unless we are praying seven hours a day or reading 25 chapters of Scripture in our devotions, we are not really righteous. And so I think you're understanding this. And I don't keep saying that because I think you're not intelligent, but because it's so... You hear this and you understand it, but then you immediately, if you're like me, you recoil and say, but I can't really tell people that they shouldn't have devotions. Well, I'm not telling you you shouldn't have devotions. I'm telling you you should be devotional. It's not having devotions, it's being devotional. The idea is that I should want to be with Jesus all the time. And I get to be with him sometimes. I, I can schedule that time, because, you know that, I mean there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is that I am not more spiritual when I keep my devotions and if i miss them i am not less spiritual by definition because i need to love the lord with all of my mind and heart and soul and strength all of the time a lot of these guys that that use this uh, or talk this way they use the illustration of the uh, the mom or dad you know uh, coming home after they've been gone for a while and the children running to them wanting to be with them Pam was always really good about the kids. You know, she she would build excitement for me to come home, except those nights when there were spankings to be had. But anyway, which were most nights. But anyway, uh, that's not true. But she would build excitement. And when, I remember when we li- especially when we, li- the kids were really little and we lived over on Harrison, and it was a, one of those crazy burglar windows right next to our door you know you know what i mean the window that you can just break real easily and open your front door uh and so the kids would stand there and they would watch for me to come home and they get super excited when i would come home you know and i'd get super excited to see them and so you know and and uh you know it was it was different than coming home and saying i've ordered the children into their bedrooms for your devotional time with them they don't want to really have anything to do with you because, you know, there's something on TV, uh, but they are, you know, are going to be made to feel guilty and unloved if you don't go in and talk with them. And so you, ne- you have uh, ten minutes and we'll set the timer, uh, you know, with each one equally. And so, you know, uh, hopefully we don't approach life that way, uh, and so, yet we approach the Lord that way. We say, well, Lord, you know, I- I've, got, I've got ten minutes here, and uh, then the rest of the day is mine. Maybe you'll break through and tell me to talk to somebody or some, but probably not because I've got a lot to do today, uh, and and so and we can easily fall into that trap and begin to live an external life when the Lord uh, has such an amazing love for us uh, that we just want to be with Him all the time. And this explains to me why Jesus, when He was on the earth, I mean, I look at it sometimes. And I think, man, how I I I I I'm, a, I'm trying to convince Pam I have a sleep disorder. But it's, you know, as soon as I sit in the chair, I'm asleep, uh, you know, and, and um, it's crazy. I drink coffee like a madman at night. I can drink coffee, I can drink a hundred cups of coffee and go right to sleep. I don't know what's happened to me. But uh, that's why I'm interested. I found some coffee online that's eight times the normal caffeine. It's a guy that's got a formula. I can't wait to get some of this stuff and just give it a try. There's a warning label. They don't know how much of it you can drink before you die, but, uh, you know, they think it's quite a bit. But anyway, uh, that's an aside. But, you know, Jesus, you look at Jesus and He's ministering and He's, he's going like crazy for, you know, and then it, while His disciples are asleep, He's spending all night in prayer with His Father. Not out of guilt, not out of, uh, you know, condemnation, but because he, he just missed talking to His Dad. He was so busy that He had to catch up on it. Uh, and so that's the attitude that we need to regain. It's the attitude that you had if you got saved later in life. Uh, if you were, in one sense, it's a blessing to get saved later in life because you have a, a You have a, a point of comparison. You can like some of those guys and gals in the in the video. It's like, yeah, I was this way. Now I'm this way. A, a lot of you were saved as children, and and you know you're just as saved, by the way. And I'm, I would rather have been that my testimony. But sometimes it's hard to see the contrast. Uh, And and so when you first get really saved coming out of a lifestyle like that, man, man, you're just in love with Jesus and you just want to spend time with Him all the time reading and studying and and hanging out with the Lord. Uh, And then over time, these ideas about the law start to creep in and other Christians start to put burdens on you, that, uh, you know, because that's what Pharisees do. They put burdens on people that they can't lift and you start to have rules and regulations and it can become a lot more mechanical. And that's why Jesus, He went to a really good church, the church at Ephesus, and He said, Oh man, are you guys doing it right. You're doing this and you're doing that and this, you've got programs and you've got all this stuff going on, but your love has grown cold. You've left your first love and so you really need to get back to that. And so it's a constant, I think, exhortation and exercise for us to want to get back to our first love. And what Paul is telling us is you don't get back there by renewing a relationship, renewing your vows, as it were, with the law. By saying, okay... I've, I'm, I'm not really walking with the Lord like I should, so I'm going to add five minutes to my devotions tomorrow morning. No, you just need to repent and become more devotional all along with your life and just get back to where you really believe that your life is a living sacrifice and whatever the Lord wants you to do, you're going to do it. Uh, and so it doesn't, it's not measured by percentages or, or time or anything like that. And, and certainly we don't want to if, if you become the kind of person or if I become the kind of person that goes around and starts telling people how many hours I spend in prayer and how many chapters I read and how many, you know, all of this stuff man, I'm going to start carrying cumin around with me and I'm just going to start counting it in front of people then and say I'm tons more spiritual than you because I've got, you know I've got my tithe for the month all set out here in little baggies maybe not baggies I don't want to get in trouble, you know Really, officer, it's cumin. I'm a super tither, you know. But uh, you know what I mean. Somebody gave us uh, uh, cinnamon basil last week, and it looked just like a three finger bag of weed, you know. And I thought, I, what am I going to do? I'm not going to get back. I'm going to get pulled over, <laughs> local chaplain, you know, tested, tested positive for cinnamon. Uh, but anyway. So I think you understand. I hope you do. So the thing you get... So the idea... It's kind of interesting. So here's the thing. So I get up here and I say, you don't need to have devotions. And you receive that by thinking, that means I want to have them more than I ever have before. Do you understand? It's kind of a... It's an interesting thing. You're set free from the mechanics of it so that you can just do it all the time. And it should encourage you to do more. And if it encourages you to do less to say man I just I can I don't have to read my bible I don't have to go to church I don't have to witness I don't have to do anything then you're saying I've been set free from my husband to be a prostitute I can be as promiscuous as I want I don't need to marry this other individual who loves me with an everlasting love and has drawn me with cords of love and no person no real christian can can think that way and that's why Paul always says god forbid who what are you thinking Hey, you've been set free from this terrible bondage, this terrible husband as it were, to be married to the one who loves you. How many love stories have you seen or read about, you know, where there's this, you know, the the true love is here, but you know, they're stuck in this relationship and then finally the husband dies. I'm not saying it's a good thing. <laughs> hey there's a it's, it all comes from a, a Nabal and Abigail right Nabal's a fool Abigail's married to him he's a terrible husband his name means fool we covered it in in first and second samuel and then he you know she defends him and she keeps david from killing him and then he finds out about it and he has a stroke and then he has a heart attack and then he dies and she's set free to marry the king and 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 so i mean i'm not saying that you know, you should poison your husband or anything like that. But it's a story. It's a, it's a famous theme in literature because we can identify with that. And Paul says, yeah, that's you and the law. So why go back to the law? Why remarry the law that's dead? That you're dead to it and it's dead and it didn't help you before and it can't help you now. Why remarry it when Jesus is right there? And so be set free to enjoy your walk with the Lord. Amen?